Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. A lot of things about the Holy Spirit that I love talking about. This is not my favorite. And let me tell you why. Who likes to be convicted? Who likes to feel uneasy? Who likes to have that sense that this is not, is not right? I've got something in me that's not right. And, and I'll, I'll compare it to this. Who likes to go to the doctor and say, I want you to run a scan and I want you to tell me everything that's wrong with me. No, that's why we don't go to the doctor. We don't want to know. But we need to know. And we need to know what the Lord sees. Because after all, He wants to make us in His image. And He wants to make us to be the people He created us to be. So a part of that process is the work of the Holy Spirit. So when I think about the Holy Spirit, i got a choice to make. I can either... Go by experience, what people have told me, what I've experienced. Or I can open the book. Now, let me read you a note. It was not sent to me personally, but I connected with this. It was sent to a pastor. You resort to Greek translations and fancy words to explain away what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church today. Let me give you a piece of advice that just might save you from the wrath of God Almighty. Put away your Bible. Your books, stop studying. Ask the Holy Spirit to, or Holy Ghost, excuse me, to come upon you and give you the gift of tongues. You have no right to question something you have never experienced. Now, with all due respect, if you've got to choose, do we want to follow a pastor who is leading by his own experience? Or do we follow a pastor who is leading by the words that Jesus gave us concerning the Holy Spirit? I'm going to take the latter every time. And my commitment is to you is not to stand and tell you the experiences I've had, but to teach you what we need to learn together from the Word of God. This is the foundation. And the reason that's important, experience can take you everywhere. And the experiences we've had with the Holy Spirit are going to vary. They're going to be different. But there's some things that are in common. And what's in common are found here. And who better to ask when you want to know about the Holy Spirit than Jesus? I mean, Jesus would be where I want to go. So let's go to John chapter 16. These are some of the last words Jesus ever taught while he was on earth in his earthly ministry. So here is a moment when he's teaching the disciples about the Holy Spirit that is to come. And I just think it's a great place to start. And he's going to really talk about, in in the text today, convicting. Now, I use the word convict just because I grew up with it. Convict means, you know, somebody got arrested. Somebody got, you know, charged with something. It's it's a little like that, but it's not a, a parallel. It's not an equivalent. I like the word expose, show you. Uh, Some use the word convince. All of those words help translate that Greek word. But basically the point is, is that the Holy Spirit is here to help us. 
Okay? I want you to remember that. To help us. And so there is this passage where Jesus specifically talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in two places. In the, in the church, among his believers, and in the world. Okay? In fact, this is the only place where there is explicit teaching on what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. Now, I want to I tell you, you're asking some great questions. You're asking some great questions. Let me remind you, I want you to ask a question about the Holy Spirit. And during the summer, I'm going to address those questions. In fact, I'm going to answer three of them today. Uh, There's just some great questions. And here's what you do. You just simply text the word spirit to 40777 and ask your question. So here's a question that came in. Does the Holy Spirit work in the life of an unbeliever like he works in the life of a believer? In other words, does the Holy Spirit have anything to do with what's going on inside? Does he, in fact, the question was, does he live in an unbeliever like he lives in a believer? The answer to that is no. But he works. And let me show you. You're going to see it. The one thing the Holy Spirit is doing in this world today is convicting to bring people to repentance and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the goal for the unbelieving world. And you'll see it. And I'll put a table up in a minute to kind of help you understand the two different things. He's working to bring to faith in the Lord Jesus. So, yes, he's working. And that's why when people struggle with, does God ever do anything good for an unbeliever? Yes. Because he wants to lead them to repentance. Yes, he does good things. The Bible says that he has given favor and he has blessed so that through the goodness of the Lord, they will come to repentance. What does repentance mean? It means they're going to quit living for themselves and they're going to turn and live for Jesus. It means they quit trusting themselves to save themselves and they turn and live for Jesus. So he's working in an unbelieving world, but he's also working in Christians. But what, he do, what he's doing is different. Let me show you the best example of conviction in the Bible. There's a lot of it. David in the Old Testament, when David sinned against Bathsheba, I mean, literally when he had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and then he has her husband killed. David said he couldn't sleep at night. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 said he was miserable. What is that? That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. Troubling. That's Old Testament. New Testament. In Acts 2, when Simon Peter finished preaching at Pentecost on those southern steps, and we looked at that last week, you know what the people said? Look at this verse. Now, when they heard this, they were, say it with me, cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That little phrase, they were cut to the heart. I love that translation. Any of you ever been cut to the heart? You ever been somewhere or heard something or somebody said something or whatever and the spirit took it and cut straight to the heart? What that means is it didn't just go here. It went here. And you felt it. That's conviction. They were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we do? And that's when Peter said, repent and believe and be baptized. And that's exactly what happened. And 3,000 people that day repented, believed, and were baptized. 
They turned from the law. They turned from trusting themselves. And they turned and said, Jesus is our Lord. And they were baptized. So this is going to be uncomfortable for some. But I want it to be affirming. And I'll show you why as we read it. So with the Bible open or with somehow the words in front of you on your phone or on your computer or wherever, I want you to read with me. Follow along as I read John chapter 16, starting in verse 4. Again, this is the night before he, he was crucified. And he's teaching the disciples everything he can to make sure they're ready for him being crucified, buried, and then raised, and then ascended to the Father. Watch this. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now, that's the King James verily, verily, verily. That's your mama calling your middle name. You need to listen to what he's about to say. All right? Listen carefully. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. That's hard to believe. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. Now you're thinking, man, read the next part. That's next time. That's talking about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Great. Great stuff, but this is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, let's look at that text. Let me show you some words. This is real interesting. Of all the words Jesus could have used for the Holy Spirit, look at the word he chose. Say it with me. The helper. That is the word paraclete in Greek. It's literally a word that means called alongside. It literally means that somebody's been called alongside you. Who is it? Jesus. God is walking with you. Paraclete. Helper. Somebody asked the question, why are we often afraid of the Holy Spirit? Why are we afraid of the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the reasons is, is because some of us grew up with Holy Ghost. And I didn't know if he was Casper, the friendly ghost, or if he was one of those other ghosts. Sometimes we've been influenced by the world around us about the Holy Spirit, and he's weird, and it's bizarre, and he causes people to do crazy things. So, I, yeah, I'm afraid because I don't want anything to do with that. That's a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. You're basing a belief on somebody's experience. Remember, base it on the word, not somebody's experience. And so we had this, and I'll tell you, one of them is just control. Because the truth is, it's hard to let go and say, Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Do whatever you want. And you're going, but just don't mess with me. Because we, who likes to lose control? 
I've actually been in meetings with pastors and somebody prayed, God, I just pray you help us to, to maintain control. I'm sitting there praying, God, don't let us maintain control. Please, God, for once, let it get out of our control. There's something fearful about not being in control. But that's just the nature of lordship. That's the nature of saying, Lord, it's all yours. So here's my point. Look at what he's called. Helper. Is that scary? Helper. Is that a scary term? The way I answered this, this question was, no, there's no reason to be afraid unless Jesus makes you afraid. Jesus is the one I want with me because I know him. He, I saw what he did, and I want him to come along beside me. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit is. He is here to help you today. He's not here to hurt you. The hurting comes only because there's something to be helped in your life. So remember the word helper. Can we just welcome him and thank him for being our helper today? Just let him know. Je Jesus, thank you for sending a helper. So whenever you think of the Holy Spirit, you think helper. The next phrase that really grabbed my attention, and I'm sure it did you. Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. Verily, verily, remember? It is to your advantage that I go away. What? It's an advantage to have the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? I mean, if you'd been there, and you'd been living and walking with Jesus for three years, watching him heal the lame and, and, and cause the dead to, I mean, everything he'd been doing, seeing love just emanate from him, and, and he's about to leave you? You think that's an advantage? So why is it an advantage that Jesus leave us? So the helper could come. But, are you ready? The fact that Jesus has left us means he came and finished what he came to do. Defeat death, set us free from sin, walk out of a grave, and be at the right hand of the Father now. So what the advantage is, is all that Jesus has made possible through the cross and through his death and his resurrection and the people giving praise. You've got to know, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you did. If the Holy Spirit was not here and Jesus was still walking around in the flesh, that meant the mission wasn't completed. That meant he wasn't through. But Jesus said, no, I'm going. And it's really going to be good that I'm gone because that means I have finished the work and it is done. What was the last thing he said on the cross? It is finished. Hallelujah. So now we have Jesus, but we also have everything he did. Piper, I love John Piper's quote on this. The work of the Holy Spirit and power happens only on the basis of the blood of Jesus. Jesus accomplished a victory. And he said, but I'm going to still be with you. And I will give you my spirit. He's called the helper. What's he going to do? He's going to convict. Well, that doesn't sound good. The word convict is used like 17 times in the New Testament. It basically means to convince you, to show you something. It means to reveal. I mean, a good way of looking at it would be literally if you go to a doctor and you get an x-ray or an MRI or whatever, and they say, okay, look, here are the problems. You say, yeah, but I don't like that. Yeah, but you've you got to have that to live. I mean, you need to know. And so what the helper does is help us see things that are killing us.
Help us see things we're doing that are hurting the name of Jesus and taking away from his glory. And so that conviction starts, and I'm going to go back to the text. He's here to first convict or to reveal to the world. And what's he convicting the world concerning sin? Now just hang on to that. We'll come back to it. And righteousness and judgment. Now, while you're looking at this, you can just narrow it down to three things he's doing. He's convicting about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Is this applying to just the lost world, or is this applying to the believers? Yes. It's both. It's both. I tend to think the first part concerning sin has a limited scope with unbelievers because the sin of an unbeliever is unbelief. But then the bigger scope, righteousness, judgment, I think it applies to every one of us. And I'll explain that. So let's move through it. Jesus, in this case, explains what he meant. Man, I love it when Jesus would tell a parable and then he would say, okay, now here, here's, what you, here's what I need you to know about that parable. And he explains it. That's what he does here. Watch this. Concerning sin. Why would the helper convict of sin? Because they do not believe in me. So let me just explain. The number one activity of the Holy Spirit in a lost world is to convict of unbelief. The most important thing to know is that the sin of an unbelieving world is just that, unbelief. Let me put it in terms that maybe I can relate to and somebody in the room can relate to. When I passed out, crashed, broke five ribs, I knew my ribs were broken. I went to the hospital to get help for my ribs. Doctor looked at me and said, how come you passed out? I said, I don't know. You know, maybe low blood sugar. I don't know. Just, man, I need something for these ribs. They're killing me. He said, well, we're going to find out why you passed out. I said, well, how long will that take? I mean, I'm hurt. He said, we need to find out why you passed out. That's when he came back in and said, we know why you passed out. They found the heart problem. Now, can I just tell you, I am so thankful they didn't put a Band-Aid on me and say, okay, you're good to go. They didn't give me some drugs and say, all right, that'll take away the pain and your, your ribs will heal. No. They went to the problem. I wouldn't have had broken ribs if I had known about the problem. When he, the Holy Spirit, is working in this world, let me tell you, he is going after the problem, and that is unbelief. Unbelief. So when we... When we as the church, well-meaning, try to start with symptoms, you don't put, can put Band-Aids on cancer. Go for the issue. And the issue is an unbelieving heart. Listen, if all we're going to do is treat symptoms, you can't build enough prisons. You can't build enough. You can't pass enough laws when the heart is broken. We, as the gospel-believing and preaching church, have the answer. And that is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. That's the hard issue. So quit picking on your friends about all the symptoms. Just see if you can get them to Jesus. We want to focus on those things. Well, you, you know, you don't need to be doing that. You don't need to be doing that. How about they just need to believe and let Jesus take care of the rest of it? But we do it backward. But he is working, the Holy Spirit, to convict the world of sin. That's how we became Christians, right? 
We realized our need. All of a sudden, we realized, man, this life isn't working out. There's something missing. And we felt that pull, that draw. And we knew Jesus loved us and died for us and was buried and raised, raised from the dead. And nobody's ever done that for us. And there was something inside of us that said, I've got to follow Jesus. I am thankful that is the work of the Holy Spirit in an unbelieving world. Now, the next thing, righteousness. He convicts concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. What does that mean? When you can't see Jesus and you're not walking with him every day and he's not there in the flesh, sometimes you're not sure what to do. You're not even sure what righteousness looks like. If you want to be righteous, what is that? How do I do that? I don't have anybody to follow. I can't see Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that he's with you? The helper is there to show you what righteousness looks like every day. He's there to say, nope, don't say that. When you're about to post something, you're about to send that email, it's the helper that goes, yeah, that really doesn't look like righteousness. And so he's convicting concerning righteousness because he is the presence of Jesus. We can't see him in the flesh now, but he is with us in his spirit to guide us, to show us. So I think this one really applies to believers, helping us to be more like Christ. That's all righteousness means. Don't make it a bigger word than it is. It just means to be like Jesus. And then what's this last one? He convicts concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged, he's convincing or convicting us and reminding us you will stand before a holy God and give account one day. You know what I think that means? I think he puts in every one of us the idea that, hey, one day I've got to give an account. One day I've got to stand before the Lord. And even the ruler of this world, even though the enemy is judged, and by the way, he was judged at a place called Calvary, and he was defeated, and he was destroyed, and one day ultimately will be destroyed. So we have confidence that, yes, I can stand before my God. Why? Because of a verse in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to worry about that judgment. Why? Because Jesus has covered me with his righteousness. So I just think he convicts to show us and remind us, one day you're going to have to stand before the Lord. And if you're a believer, you don't have to worry about are you one of his or not. No, you're one of his. But maybe you're going to have to give an account for what you did with what you had. It's a different kind of judgment, but it's still an accounting. And some of us don't like to account for anything we do. Well, the day's coming, and the Holy Spirit's reminding us of that. So think about it. All of these are here to help us. So let me put it in a table to help make sense. Convicting the world of what? Sin. Big S. Unbelief. Unbelief. I've got personal friends that have struggled with whatever issues, and, and they weren't Christians. And they said all the Christians wanted to talk about were their lifestyles. We had a woman one time that was, came out of work in the streets. I mean, she was a prostitute. And she said, I've tried churches, but every time I tried a church, all they wanted to talk about was, I need to get off the street. And she said, David, getting off the street didn't change me. Jesus changed me. You see, you can be just as lost sitting in church as you can working the Orange Blossom Trail. 
The point is, the greatest need of the world is to believe in the Lord Jesus. So he's working on the big S, sin. Unbelief is the issue, and what's the goal? Salvation. To bring you, to bring them to salvation. I use them because I happen to be one of the ones who have been saved. Thank God. Here's the other side. Convict Christians. What is he doing? He convicts of sins. Notice the little s. Notice the lowercase. After we become a Christian, are there still sins? Yes. Sin is anything that misses the mark, anything that disappoints God, anything that displeases. Yes, that's the work of the Spirit. He's showing us things that don't look like what? Righteousness. They're not becoming to you and a child of God. And when you write something, say something, and all of a sudden you feel that sense of, oh my, that's the Spirit working. And He's just doing what He came to do to help you. And then the goal is sanctification. That's just a big word that means you have become like Jesus. You've made, been made like Jesus. So see, here's the difference. Now, what are the lessons for us today? Number one, you're not going to like this one. Don't play the Holy Spirit. Don't play the Holy Spirit with you or with somebody else. And this is hard. Because I love playing the Holy Spirit. I just turned around to a couple and said the Lord wanted them to stay here and not go back to where they live. I just played the Holy Spirit. Because if I looked at them and said, hey, I believe God wants y'all to be here. I just stepped into their world and said, I'm the Holy Spirit in your life. I told Laddie on the way down, I said, Laddie, I'm the Holy Spirit. Listen. Just listen. Don't argue with me. I'm your Holy Spirit. Of course, he knew the message, so we laughed. The point is, how many people you have in your life trying to be the Holy Spirit in your life? And you see, the reason you can't be the Holy Spirit, the reason you should never play the Holy Spirit, number one, you don't know everything. You don't know everything. You see the outside, you see the surface, you see a few things, but you don't know everything. Number two reason is because you got enough issues, you need to be worried about yourself to be playing the Holy Spirit with somebody else. Jesus said, why are you worried about a speck in your brother's eye? You got a board in yours. Don't play the Holy Spirit. And I just think the last thing about the Holy Spirit and playing the Holy Spirit is, man, we're so bad about wanting to condemn people. And we do it not as one who's perfect, but as one who is scarred. Romans chapter 1 is one of those chapters where everybody loves to go there and talk about all the list of sins. Let me show you something about Romans 1 and 2. I'm reading through it with some guys, and this just really got us. I mean, it just kind of caught me off guard. I, I knew this, but it just hit me. Therefore, you don't have an excuse, old man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you do what? You condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Don't play the Holy Spirit. I know you want to as a husband. You want to help your wife. And you want to show her the things of the Lord. Can I just give you some good advice? Don't play her Holy Spirit. Ladies, if I could just tell you, nagging sounds like you're playing the Holy Spirit. Don't play the... Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, well, I, I think it would be good to do this. But don't put it in a perspective that you have heard a word and this is what you have to do. 
Because the will of God for somebody's life, you know who ought to be the one that knows it best? Them. And that's what you want. So that's the work that he's doing. Let me tell you, Billy Graham and Ruth Graham, her response to a question is probably one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever heard. Somebody asked her, well, I know Billy Graham has probably had moments and you had to help him, correct him or whatever, you know, and kind of keep him straight. You know what Ruth Graham said? Oh, no. She said, that's not my job. My job's to love him. It's God's job to make him good. Can I give you some great advice? Just love people. Just love your husband, love your wife, love your children, love your daughter, love your son. It's God's good to do the correcting and the convicting, and he does a lot better job of it. He's called the helper. That's why. So don't play the Holy Spirit. Number two, listen to the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean. Start every day saying, Lord, I, I just, I, I want to hear you today. Say, Holy Spirit, I want you to show me anything in my life, an attitude, a thought, a habit, something that I'm doing that's not pleasing to you. Start every day that way. Don't wait on a Sunday to come and be sitting in a room and then go, okay, let's see, what have I done wrong? This no. Just ask him every day. So you learn to listen. I call it promptings. And when there's a prompting of the Spirit, you know what that means? You just got like, well, I think I need to call that person. Call them. I think I need to apologize. I think I posted something or said something, or I like something I shouldn't have liked, or I dislike something. I you just need to do whatever you feel that the Spirit is saying to you. And how do you know it's the Spirit? Two things for sure. Number one, the Word of God. If the Spirit's asked you to do something that is not in accordance with the Word of God, I can tell you it's not the right Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the unholy Spirit, and there is one. Make sure it's according to His Word. Number two, there will always be peace. That's the sign of Jesus. What's the first thing He said when He showed up and met the disciples after He was raised from the dead? First thing, peace be with you. Second thing He said when He showed up to the disciples, peace be with you. Colossians tells us that we ought to let peace rule in our heart. You know what the word rule means? Umpire. If you're trying to figure out which is the Holy Spirit and which is not, which one brings peace? That's the Holy Spirit. Somebody asked a question, does the Holy Spirit feel like chills, like you get cold chills? What's the best way to know how it feels when the Holy Spirit is doing something? My quick answer is peace. You will have a sense of peace that lets you know, yes, I, I need to let go of that. Now, the flesh is going to fight it. Your, your old nature is going to fight it. But you know there's just a sense of peace that i got to do that. I know it's something I need to get rid of. I know it's something that I've got to change. So listen to him. And the third thing, be quick to obey. Be quick to obey. Let me, let me tell you why I say it that way. The more you say no, the harder it is to say yes. The more you say no, the easier it is to say no. And you just develop almost a calloused heart. You become insensitive. And, and I'm telling you, you know what I fear most? I fear that I would ever get to the point where my sin doesn't bother me. 
man, when I see something that I know is not of God, it's not righteous, and it doesn't bother me, I'm, I'm desperate. I'm like, I'm in trouble. Because I know that I've developed a callus. You know what a callus is? A callus is actually what your body does to protect yourself. And so like on your, right, on your hands, if you have to work with your hands, you'll develop calluses. Why? Because it protects your body and you lose a sense of feeling on those calluses. The Bible says our heart can get that way. So the more you say no, you're just developing that callus. So be obedient as soon as you can. And I, can I just tell you, we all face this. There's some of you I've had to make phone calls to because I knew I said something that I've, the Lord just convicted me. I mean, I've come in our offices and I've said to my assistant or somebody, hey, I need to talk to you a minute. Yesterday I said something. I, I just, I know that wasn't right. It's hard to do. But man, it brings peace. Why? Because he's the helper. Holy Spirit's not out to hurt you. He's out to help you. So I'll tell you this story. I had a chance to teach for Southwestern Seminary. I taught New Testament and I taught in Fort Worth and Houston, San Antonio. And I was teaching once and um, always had students, they had to read so many hours. And, and I had an approved list of books that they were to read. I mean, they couldn't be reading the paper in that count, but it had to be hours reading, you know, stuff on the New Testament or whatever. And they turned in at the end of class a reading report where they said, I read X number of hours. And if they were over the minimum, then good, they're good. If they're not, we got a problem. So one year, years after I'd finished teaching, years, I go to a meeting and I see this guy and I think, man, he looks familiar. He sees me and he comes straight for me and he's weeping and he looks at me. He goes, David, I was in your class. The class you taught, New Testament in Houston, Texas. And I said, oh, yeah. And he said, I lied on my reading report. I said, you're what? I couldn't, well, I, I couldn't even remember it. You're what? He said, you know the report where you, we had to turn in? I lied. And I have not been the same since. I could not get it off my mind. He said, I would, at night, I would come to me. I'm lying. How do I stand in a pulpit and preach on Sunday to a people about following God and living righteous lives when I lied to my New Testament professor? And he said, I just got to ask you forgive me. I said, man, you're forgiven. I can't change your grade, but you are forgiven. And he goes, good. Thank you, Lord. The point is, it had been years. But see, the helper knows those little areas in your life that's going to get you. Because if you lie here, you'll lie there. And if you'll lie a little, guess what it is? One day you'll lie a lot. And so he's here today. He's our helper. Let's just let him do what he came to do. I want you to bow with me. Every head bowed. So to those that are unbelievers... You know, you haven't come to that place yet to take that step of faith. Do you feel him drawing you? Do you have a sense that it's time? That's the Holy Spirit. That's your helper. And he's helping you do the most important thing you'll ever do, and that is to believe in the Lord Jesus. And I want to invite you, just put your faith in him now. 
Repent means I'm turning from me, I'm turning from my sin, my trust in all my friends, and I'm trusting you, Jesus. Please forgive me for all my sins, and I need you. And I believe whether you're in this room or you're somewhere streaming this, he hears you, and he comes and he changes your life. To those of us who are believers, we've already taken that step. Is there something in your life that doesn't look like Jesus? Is there something in your life that's, you know it's not right? Could be the way you treat your spouse. It could be the way you treat one of your family. It could be just a habit or it could be a lot of things. But you know, you know what it is. Can you just say, Holy Spirit, thank you for showing me that. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess just means I agree. So just agree with the Holy Spirit right now. Agree and say, Lord, I know. It doesn't look like what I want to look like. Jesus, I just want to thank you for the helper. I want to thank you for sending the helper so you could go finish what needed to be finished. And today, we have the benefit of the victory that you provided through your death and resurrection, and we have your presence with us every day. We are blessed. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.